If you have your Bibles, take them and turn to Psalm 37. And uh, we're going to make our way through the last part of this psalm. This is our final week. We've been three weeks in it. And uh, I just want to pick up at verse 23 as we consider, uh, again, some of David's observations and uh, help as we walk through just the craziness of the world that we live in. Psalm chapter 37, starting at verse 23. The steps of a man are established by the Lord. And he takes delight in his way. Though he fall, he shall not be cast headlong, for the Lord upholds his hand. I have been young and now am old, yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken or his children begging for bread. He is ever lending generously, and his children become a blessing. Turn away from evil and do good, so shall you dwell forever. For the Lord loves justice and will not forsake his saints. They are preserved forever, but the children of the wicked shall be cut off. The righteous shall inherit the land and dwell upon it forever. The mouth of the righteous utters wisdom, and his tongue speaks justice. The law of God is in his heart. His steps do not slip. The wicked watches for the righteous and seeks to put him to death. The Lord will not abandon him to his power or let him be condemned when he is brought to trial. Wait for the Lord and keep his way. And he will exalt you to inherit the land. You will look on when the wicked are cut off. I've seen a wicked, ruthless man spreading himself like a green laurel tree. But he passed away, and behold, he was no more. Though I sought him, he could not be found. Mark the blameless, and behold the upright. For there is a future for the man of peace. But transgressors will be altogether destroyed the future of the wicked shall be cut off. The salvation of the righteous is from the Lord. He is their stronghold in the time of trouble. The Lord helps them and delivers them. He delivers them from the wicked and saves them because they take refuge in him. Father, we are here now before your word. We have seen it demonstrated in the act of baptism. We have sung it in various songs and we have read it and now we come before it here this morning. Father, I pray that as we consider your word that we will not sit in ourselves as judges over the world and decide whether or not we will listen or what we will apply and what we won't, that we won't allow our emotions to determine our response to your word. But rather, Father, we will be those that sit under your word and humble ourselves under it and let it change us, let it shape us regardless of how we feel. May we be like the psalmist who said, I have considered my ways and have turned my steps to your statutes. I will hasten and not delay to obey your commands. Make it so in our hearts, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We've been working our way through Psalm 37, and verse 1 really has set the agenda for the psalm, where in verse 1, the psalmist begins by saying, fret not yourself because of evildoers, and don't be envious of wrongdoers. That can be expanded, though, to simply mean don't get worried about stuff of life. Don't look on those that are your circumstances. Don't look on evil as it prospers and worry or be anxious or fret yourself over it. And the rest of the psalm is David's gift to us, an encouragement to us, an exhortation to us of how we live in a world that's crazy. How do we make sense of our own circumstances when they don't make sense to us? 
The first week that we were here, we just talked about the posture of the righteous, the, 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 the way that we just brace ourselves for difficulties in life, and it is simply commit yourselves to the Lord. Trust in him. Rejoice in his ways, or as we looked at that one word, roll your stuff over onto God. That's our posture in the midst of all of this, is just to turn our eyes towards the Lord. And that last week, we looked at the perspective of the righteous that the psalmist unfolds for us, and it's simply a long view of life. This present world and this present day is not all that there is. There is a future. There is a new heaven and a new earth that God will create. There is a day that God has fixed in which he will judge the earth. And so he says, listen, in the midst of your day-to-day living and all the stuff that you face, all the challenges, all the darkness of your circumstances, know that there is a future for the righteous and it is a good future. And so today, all I want to look at is the last verses and to think of some of the perspectives or some of the provisions, sorry, of God for the righteous. What does God give to us? How does God enable us to walk in this world? What does he provide us with that enables us to endure just the craziness of our lives. In a nutshell, it's in one word, and we'll come back to this at the end, but I just want you to fix this word in your minds. The way that the righteous face this crazy world and the difficult stuff of their life is that they entrust themselves to the Father. It's that word, entrust. Fix it in your hearts and minds. Entrust your stuff to God. When we consider the perspective of living in such a world in which we did or do, as we looked at last week, it is a good thing and a right thing to have a long-term view of life. But God provides for our comfort now. He gives us help for today. He gives us perspectives that enable us to deal with those daily things. And the first one is simply the providence of God. I hope you have come to love this description of God or this way of God. You'll never find the word in the Bible, actually, but you'll find it everywhere in the Bible. As a congregation, we went through the book of Esther. Esther is a book about the providence of God. God is not mentioned once in that whole book, but yet you see his hand everywhere directing the steps of his people and directing the steps of the wicked. We went through the life of Joseph a number of years ago, and in the life of Joseph, you see the hand of God guiding and directing even the steps of his wicked, sinful brothers and the things that happened to Joseph over 22 years in Egypt. And finally, Joseph could look back and he could say to his brothers, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. So the providence of God is is, is the, the way that God purposefully works out his sovereignty in our lives. We know that God is sovereign. The Bible tells us again and again that God is sovereign over this universe and this world that he has made. The providence of God is the purposeful exercise of that sovereignty. It's the way that God, moment by moment, directs our steps, directs our paths, directs the events that happen in our lives without interfering with our responsibility such that it brings about his purposes. The Bible describes the providence of God in so many ways. I was reading in uh, 2 Kings. That's one of the places I'm in in my own Bible reading. As a church, we're in Judges and John. Judges is a brutal book, but it's a great book. Um, But I was reading in the book of 2 Kings, and I was reminded of the woman who saved Christmas. 
I don't know if you know that, but there is a lady who saved Christmas. And without her act and her dependence on the providence of God, Jesus would have never been born. In the circumstance of her life in the year 1840 BC, the kings of Judah and their sons were being slaughtered. The promise of David, or to David by God, that he would have a person on his throne from his line forever and ever was in jeopardy. The promise of Genesis 3.15, where God said that uh, the, the seed of the serpent will bruise the heel of the seed of the woman, but the seed of the woman would crush his head, was hanging in the balance. It was hanging by a single thread. But for Jehoshaphat, Jehoshaphat was a servant in the king's court. When all these uh, princes were being slaughtered, she rescued a little baby and her nurse and hid them in the temple of God for six years. This one child hung, on this child hung the promise of God to crush the serpent's head and to have a seed in the line of David. It's a wonderful story of how in the providence of God, that little baby was protected. Or you can go to the book of uh, uh, Exodus, Exodus chapter 2. And there you can see uh, the story of Moses and you see uh, uh, his mother. And if ever a woman trusted on the providence of God for her child, it was Moses' mother. When all the baby boys were being handed over to be killed, she wouldn't do it. And she put her little baby in an ark. And she put that ark in the Nile River with all of its currents and all its tide, tidal realities, with all its crocodiles and all its hippopotamus. And she put her child in that river to preserve its life. And the God who determines the eddies in a river, the God who determines where animals flow, what they eat, who provides them their food, protected that little baby until the moment when Pharaoh's daughter came down to the river the ark was spotted. They opened it up and the baby was crying and she had compassion on that child. And the impact of that is still felt around the world today. The providence of God is illustrated again and again and again in scripture. Again, providence means or is a, a provision of God for us to fix in our hearts and minds, to understand that he directs the believer's way from first to last. And he starts it and he keeps it going. This is how God can, can, can finish what he starts in our lives. And the providence of God is not only restricted to the righteous. In Psalm 33, verse 10, it says there, the Lord brings the counsel of nations to nothing. He frustrates the plans of peoples. This is the providence of God working in the circumstances, working in the hearts and minds of people. Notice what it says in verse 23 as we look at this first provision, the providence of God. The Lord directs the steps of the godly. He delights in every detail of their lives. Do you know that? Do you know that if you are a child of God, he directs your steps to the left, to the right, to this job, to that job, to this spouse, to that spouse, to the number of children you have in your family, to where you work, to where you live, the Lord directs your steps. And he delights in doing it. It's not a task. It's not a burden for him. 
This is a provision of God to assure us no matter what we face in life, no matter what the circumstances, no matter how dark, no matter how heavy, no matter how topsy-turvy, we know that the Lord directs our steps delightfully. In verse 24, it says, though he falls, he will not be overwhelmed because the Lord holds his hand. These are significant images to fix in your minds, loved one. I don't know how many people I talked to in the first service and their worlds are just nutty right now. Not only with what they're facing, but others who are, who are, are thinking about the world in which we live. Fix in your mind that God directs your steps. Fate and chance do not determine your comings and your goings, but God does. God guides the path of your life. Proverbs 16.9 says, a, man, a man's uh, heart plans his way, but the Lord determines his steps. Yahweh is concerned with every detail of your life. Do you know that? Do you work that through? Do you wrestle that out? in the good and the bad times, to know that God knows every detail. He plans those details of your life. When you fall, you won't be flattened. You might fall, and it might be for a long way, but you will never be taken out by that fall. And Yahweh, it says, holds on to your hand. I thought of this, uh, certainly as parents, when, when you have young children, at least. This is so true. You determine when they go to bed. You determine when they get up. You determine what they wear. You determine what they eat. You determine who they play with. You, de you determine what they play with. When you walk down a path, you're hanging on their hand and they stumble and they fall and they're flailing, but you've got their hand. You direct their steps and you delight in directing their steps. God does that in a much masterful way, in a much bigger way, even as we're adults, without ever infringing on our responsibility with him. Our Father in heaven, God who acts purposefully for us and sustains us and governs us and provides us and the world. The how of it, I don't understand. I don't understand the how of it. I don't understand how God does that for every single human being, for every animal, for every star, for the sun, for the moon, for the fish that come back in the rivers, for everything. I don't understand how he does it, but I know he does it. He sends ravens to feed a prophet. He sends a prophet to sustain a, 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 a widow and, and, or a, a lady that has nothing left to give. He sends lions to devour people. He sends whales to save people. The how of it we may not grasp, but the fact of it is absolutely clear in our lives particularly when you look back over time and years to marvel at how God has guided and directed your steps. There's a mysterious stability we have because we know Yahweh directs our steps. This is an incredible provision of God. You see this in the life of Jesus who this song was so meaningful. As he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, he didn't fight about his own will. He says, not my will, but yours, Father. You direct my steps. You have done it to this point. I entrust myself to you to continue to do it. You direct my steps. When he was in the wilderness at the end of the 40 days and he's furiously tempted by the evil one, 
He trusts in the word of God to guide and direct his response. When he's talking to his own disciples about what's coming, he entrusts himself to the Father, and he says to them, the Son of Man must suffer and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and be killed. But on the third day, he will be raised again. He trusted himself to the word of God and the promise of God. Loved ones, such knowledge of a sovereign God who works purposefully in our lives, in the darkness of our lives, in the joy of our lives, in the terror of our lives, in the uncertainty of our lives is a provision that God has given us every day of our life. The second thing is assurance from God's word. This is another gift that God gives his people as they walk in this world. It's assurance. It's learned from experience. It's felt through trust and it's heard through the promises of God. There's a few ways that David describes the assurances of God. One is the sustenance of God. As David says in verse 25, I have been young and now I am old. Yet I have never seen the righteous forsaken or his children begging for bread. He is ever lending generously and his children become a blessing. I think sometimes we read that and, and we misunderstand it. He is saying that he has never seen the righteous forsaken. He is not saying I have never seen the righteous afflicted. The righteous will be afflicted. We will have sorrow. We will have difficulties, but we will not be forsaken. David here is making a general observation about life, not an ironclad rule with no exceptions. As a general rule, in all the pressures of life that you and I face, we will generally be provided for so that we can be generous to others. Think about this in, in your own world and own life. We can, we can forget this truth and this reality in our own hearts. When we're facing a challenge with our jobs, or maybe when, uh, when, when we're facing a difficult circumstances and that's all that we can think about, we still go home to a home. We still have a roof over our head. We still have clothes on our back. We still have food in our fridge. We still have a, a few dollars in the bank. God still provides for us. God still sustains us, even in the darkest moments of our lives. And then there's the justice of the Lord. I hope you think about this in your day-to-day -day circumstances. Notice verse 28. For the Lord loves justice. He will not forsake his saints. They are preserved forever. We face injustice all day long. Some of us in really, really difficult ways. Others of us in not so bad ways. But in, injustice is, is part of our world. It's part of what we hear in the news. It's part of our relational re realities. It's part of the jobs that we go to from time to time, the, the marks that we get in, in university. We feel that, that there's been an injustice done and our first reaction is to maybe respond or to take matters in our own hand or, or to wonder where God is. But the psalmist here says, no, a provision that God has given is a knowledge that God loves justice. Your world might be full of injustice, but God will make it right. Maybe not in the moment, maybe not for months, maybe not for years, maybe not in your lifetime, but God will make it right. How assuring to hear that God is not bribable. How assuring to know that God does not um, give favors to some and, and not to others. How wonderful to know that God's justice is fair. It's not fickle. 
We walk through this world and face circumstances with the sure and certain knowledge that our God loves justice. How assuring to hear he will not forsake his saints. He will not abandon us. He will not give us up. How assuring to hear the Lord will never let you go. Is that an assurance that you have today? Are you convinced that your God, in the midst of your present circumstances, loves justice and that he will not abandon you? And then there's the word of the Lord. What a gift the word of the Lord is in verse 30 and 31. The mouth of the righteous utters wisdom and his tongue speaks justice. The law of his God is in his heart. Do you have the assurance that when you wake up in the morning and open your Bible that God is spoken and God is speaking? When you read the word of God and you read a promise and you say, man, that's pretty cool and I really like that, but there's not a chance that anyone can make that come to pass. Or do you have confidence in the word of God? Do you trust in the word of God? Will you stake your life in the word of God? What a gift it is that God has spoken. And we have a record of the speech of God. And not one single word of this will ever fail. This is an insure assurance that we have as we face the difficulties of our day that God has spoken. And what about the presence of the Lord? In verse 32 and 33, the wicked watches for the righteous and seeks to put him to death. Have you ever felt like that? Have you ever felt that, that circumstances or people are, are just waiting for you to trip up, are waiting to crush you, that the, 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 the weight of what you're experiencing is, is just, it's in your face and you think the damage is imminent. Verse 33, the Lord will not abandon him to his power or let him be condemned when he is brought to trial. It's a wonderful assurance that God never lets us go. It doesn't mean that we'll never lose a lawsuit. It, it means that we will never be condemned. We will never be given over, that God will never let us go, that we have a future with him, that there will be a day of justice. The presence of God assures us no matter what we walk through. We may be condemned by the world, but there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The eye of the wicked may be looking for you to stumble, but the hand of the Lord will ultimately not give you up. So how do you spell assurance? How do you say assurance, maybe, is a better way of putting it. How do you say assurance? The providence of God, or sorry, the sustenance of God, the justice of God, the word of God, and the presence of God. Gifts that God has given to preserve us as we walk in this world. What about a third one, which is a future secured by God? Verse 34 to 36, wait for the Lord and keep his way and he will exalt you to inherit the land. This is David's way of saying, I've been young and now I'm old. Don't be anxious. Don't be anxious. Don't fret. Embrace the provision of God for the righteous. I'm convinced that verse 34 looks ahead to the resurrection where it says, he will exalt you 
to inherit the land. This is Jesus rephrasing of that and in the fullness now of the prophecy when he says, the humble shall inherit the earth. This is referring to the new heavens and the new earth. And Jesus is looking ahead to that. He's wait for the Lord and keep his way. There's a future for the righteous. Some of you who have lived long enough really understand this in ways that some of the young don't. Nobody is immortal. There are leaders who have caused incredible harm and hurt on countries. And we wonder if their rule will ever end, but they die. There are those who trouble us that are in offices in some place around the world, and we wonder, will they ever, ever not get reelected? There will come a day when they won't be reelected. Some of you have circumstances in your life and you think this will never turn. It'll never work out for the good. It will. Wait for the Lord. And as you wait, continue to walk in his ways and trust him. And understand that God can turn circumstances in your life in a blink of an eye. I mentioned in the first service about 20 years ago to this year, Kath and I were facing something and we thought there was just, we were, we were despairing. But on a Friday night, we committed the situation to the Lord and we said, God, we're lost. We're despairing. We do not know what to do. By Sunday, God had done stuff that is absolutely miraculous. And in a dime, had turned circumstances around for the good. Wait for the Lord. Keep obeying him. And he can turn your circumstances around. I was thinking of that with the book of Esther. You read the book of Esther. Amazing that one night a king can't sleep. He asks, what's been done for Mordecai? They get some books and they say, nothing's been done for Mordecai. And Haman was coming in that morning to ask to kill Mordecai. And the king says, well, who's in the court? And they say, Haman. And he says, Haman, come. And I, I want to ask you a question. And he says, what should be done for the one that the king wants to honor? And Haman thought, the only person the king could ever want to honor is me. And so he said, this is what the king should do. And the king says, go do that for Mordecai, his hated enemy. And you know, in the course of days, how God just turned around the circumstances of all the Jewish people by his providence. Wait for the Lord and keep his way. Notice verses 37 to 38. Watch the blameless and observe the upright, for the man of peace will have a future, but transgressors will be all eliminated and the future of the wicked will be destroyed. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. The man of peace will have a future. Loved ones, what has God provided for you and I to face the day-in, day-out trauma of living, dark circumstances, crazy world in which we live? He's provided an awareness of his providence. He's given you multiple assurances that he will never let you go. And he has promised to give you a future. Walk with him and obey him. A final note is in verses 39 and 40. 
where the psalmist there says, the salvation of the righteous is from the Lord. He is their stronghold in the time of trouble. The Lord helps them and delivers them. He delivers them from the wicked and saves them because they all take refuge in him. Verse 39, your hope is in the Lord, your refuge in the time of distress. This is, this is really helpful for us to be reminded of and to learn, where do you go when you're in distress? Do you go to your bank? Do you go to a good friend? Do you go to the grocery store? Do you go to the doctor? Where do you go when you're in tough? The psalmist says, you ought to go for salvation to the Lord, a refuge in times of distress. That means you put all of your, all the eggs of your hope and trust in God. Doesn't mean you don't have these other sources which God has provided to help, but you put all the eggs of your basket of hope in God. You hide in him, you rest in him, you trust in him, you depend upon him. David said in one circumstance, as the Lord lives, who has redeemed my life out of every adversity. Not all, not some, but out of every adversity. Your help and deliverance is the Lord because you have taken refuge in him. A safe room, a safe place, a place of perfect, uh, pr protection. This psalm would have been often sung by the people of Israel. As we've said again and again, the psalms were the hymn book of Israel. They were also the prayer book of Israel, and they also would have been the hymn book of Jesus, then in the prayer, prayer book of Jesus. Its postures, its perspective, its provisions would have been things that sustained them as they walked in the world in which they lived. Jesus believed in the provision of God. Do you know that? He believed in the provision of God. He, th th this, this whole psalm, I believe, is summarized in, in a single phrase about Jesus that's contained in 1 Peter 2.23. Jesus kept entrusting himself to him who judges rightly. It's a beautiful picture. It's not just Jesus entrusted himself. Here I am, God, now. And it went on with the next week and the next month. No, it says he kept on entrusting himself. This was an ongoing present reality of Jesus as he walked in this world. To entrust means to hand over to someone for safekeeping. It, to, Jesus handed himself over to God again and again and again and again. Here I am, God, you keep me. Here I am, God, you protect me. Here I am, God, you direct me. Every time he suffered, he handed himself over to the Lord. Every time he was faced by wicked enemies, he handed himself over to the Lord. Every time his circumstances turned a dark turn, he entrusted himself over to the Lord. Every event, every circumstance, every time, he kept him trusting himself to God. Jesus knew that God was a God of providence. Jesus knew that God had provided with him every assurance that he needed to make it in life. Jesus knew that he had a future in God. And so he entrusted himself to God. Do you remember what he said on the cross? Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Even in death, he entrusted himself 
to the Father, always handing himself over, always giving himself up to, always saying, God, here I am, take me, keep me. He kept entrusting himself to God. Why? Because he knew he was safe in God. He knew he had a future in God. He knew that God would not make an unjust evaluation. He knew that God would judge righteously. He knew that God would assess rightly. And so he embraced the provisions of God outlined in this psalm. And so when you and I are distressed, when we're shaken by the circumstances of the world in which we live, when we're distracted by the prosperity of of the wicked, when our circumstances turn upside down or turn dark, when we're persecuted unjustly, when we are fired from a job without cause, we follow the example of Jesus, which was he kept on entrusting himself to the Father who judges rightly. And that's the point. God will make it right. Father in heaven, I'm thankful for your word. And these past months as I've been sticking my head in and about Psalm 37, in a fresh way, you have reminded me of the many, many ways you provide for the righteous to survive and not just survive, but to thrive in this world. Father, would you be with your people today? I don't know what they've come into this building with as they've gathered with the body of Christ. I don't know what they're leaving to face in the coming week. But I do know that every millisecond is in your hand. I do know that everything that we need, you have provided for us. I do know that you will never let me go. I do know that I have a future forever with you. Would you fix these things in our hearts and minds today in a fresh way? I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.